I'm Yoko. This is the Services Design Show, episode number 98. Hi, my name is Mark, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Service Design Show podcast. This show is all about helping you to design organizations that put people at the heart of their business. The guest in this episode is the general coach of the Surfdesk 2020 conference, which unfortunately is postponed. And she's also the co-founder of the Service Design Melbourne Meetup. Her name is Yoko Akama. The reason I'm so excited to have Yoko on this episode is that she challenges some of the dominant forces inside of service design and strongly argues for a more diverse and inclusive practice. So in the next 30 minutes, you'll learn about how you can become a better designer by building bridges. You'll learn about the big power you have as a designer and the important responsibility that comes along with that. And finally, what it means to shape the future of service design in an intentional way. So at the end, you'll probably have become more aware of some of the biases you hold yourself and how those impact your work as a designer. As Yoko said in the opening, this is episode 98. So we're almost at episode 100. Episode 100 will be a special episode because I want to answer the questions you have. So please shoot me an email or send me a message on LinkedIn and let me know which question do you have for me? What would you like me to answer in episode number 100? Because that episode will be all about you. So that's it for the intro. And now let's quickly jump into the chat with Yoko Akama. Welcome to the show, Yoko. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me on your show. Well, happy to have you on all. You're literally at the other side of the world because you're in Melbourne right now, right? Yes. Yeah. And Melbourne's at the bottom of Australia. Yeah, and I, I think if we would just dig a hole straight through the earth, I would end up somewhere in Australia. Uh, quite possibly, yeah. Yeah, quite possibly. Um, Yoko, for the people who don't know who you are, could you give a brief introduction? Uh, okay, hello. Um, my name is Yoko Akama. I'm a design researcher from the School of Design at RMIT University in Melbourne, Australia. Cool. Uh, and I, in the introduction, I already said something about the Surfdesk conference. Uh, what's the current state of that? Yeah, so because of the um, global pandemic, we had to postpone the conference from uh, being scheduled. It was scheduled for July 6th to 9th, but we're looking at a future date at the, at the current time. Mm-hmm. And it would be the first edition of Surfdesk going uh outside of europe right yeah it's the first time uh, asia pacific is hosting it so mm. we're very excited let's hope it happens yeah me too yeah a lot of thoughts gone into it already i can imagine yeah um yoko like <clears throat> it was quite interesting when uh i approached you or got connected to you for uh the show you had some reservations. You said, I, I'm not sure if I'm actually the right person to talk about service design. I have some uh, uh, a different perspective on, on, on it. And then I, uh, then I said to you, different perspectives are more than welcome. And we'll talk about that later. But I'm first of all interested in, do you remember the first moment that you sort of got in touch with the term of service design? Where, when did you start learning, thinking and speaking about service design? Um, I think 
It was when I was doing my PhD. Um, so that was um, so long. You can, t you can see my grey hair. It was so long ago. <laughs> um, and it might have been when I bumped into uh, Lucy Kimball um, at a conference um, in Europe and uh, we met because she came to our presentation, something on human-centred design. I can't remember when it, what it was about. And she said uh, I should meet with um, Ben Reason at Live Work and interview him for my PhD. Mm. Um, and so that made, I think that was 2005, no, six. Mm. Mm. I can't remember, something like that. The early days of service design, at least. The, the, the modern early days of service design. Cool. Um, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, that, definitely. Um, like I just said, you have a different perspective on, on service design, which is really good. And I would love to dig into that with you through our interview jazz format. So mm -hmm. are you ready to do it? Yes. All right. We're going to talk about a topic we're going to start with a topic that's been discussed um uh often in the past few episodes which is really good and i'm really curious to hear your thoughts about ethics do you have a question starter and can you show it up why 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 ethics Maybe we can. Maybe you can sort uh, sort of frame this a little bit for us. What that, that's a really big question. But what is ethics in in relationship to design slash service design for you? Okay. Um, so I think ethics comes up for uh, me and um, as you said, for many of your um, guests who you had on your show, and um, I would imagine. Uh, I would like to think for everybody who is designing because um, uh, I really worry about how design tends to, um, well, it's really good at selling itself, um, it, to affirm its own values to um, businesses and, and society. You know, so who says no to good design? Mm -hmm. But I think design expresses um, certain social priorities and it carries cultural values. Um, and, and often these values are, are invisible, but they become inscribed or hard-baked into the design process as an outcome. So, um, so I worry about what when design is assumed automatically as being good or it's useful. Um, and uh, and whether it's a method or a process or a system of product, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. what it's actually doing, um, and that's that's why the the question of ethics is always about the why for me. Um, yeah, yeah. So we had the the conversations usually um, are around that uh, designers are quite positive people. They tend to look at the. Uh, uh, positive aspects of the design process. And uh, now that the questions and that the topic of ethics is being raised, it's, it's sort of like invites designers to take a step back and also think about maybe the, um, not the downsides, but the side effects of their work. Is that also like the way you're thinking about ethics? Yeah, definitely. Um, 
I think my worry is partly because service design has become so powerful uh, through its effectiveness and it's, um, uh, you know, coincided with that um, shifts in economies from manufacturing to services and the rise of this, the cheaper and the faster accessible digital technologies. So service design has become so much more powerful um, because it, it can kind of then now span geographies mm-hmm. um, and uh, social cultural ba- boundaries. Um, it's you know it's accessibility, um, and so it penetrates into our lives much more deeply. Um, and we might I don't think we quite know the impacts of how far and how deep those um, uh, values penetrate until many years down the track and that's what I think we for me at least we need to sort of build a culture that allows us to question a lot more of these things before and during our designing what my question would be like that um I think I hope a lot of people listening and watching would agree with that um there's a bot they run into practicalities like if you're running if you're doing commercial projects there's usually it feels like there's little time to deliberate around these topics like what have you found is is that the biggest barrier or is it just lack of knowledge and how do we cope with that yeah i i understand and I think um, what seems to be happening um, and what you say, Mark, about the pragmatics being a, a big barrier, I sure. guess. Yeah. I think, I think maybe um, the form of the dominant designing that we we have inherited still carries that legacy from the time where um, quicker was better. When... Um, and I think when you were mass producing objects, perhaps um, certain things could have been done that way, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, sort of very sort of cookie cutter way. But I think given that service design now reaches into um, people's behaviors, how people imagine, experience things, that that then requires all of us to um, slow down to to to. Uh, do um, due diligence in um, not just the research, but to actually also um, talk with enough people who um, may potentially be um, implicated in the the delivery and the impact of mm. certain services. And and those things take time, and those things are and additional skills and capacities that um, the traditional disciplines of design didn't really have have before so we're now you know we're now starting to see that and the methods and the processes that are coming in to support that um and i think ethics is a is a is a string that ties it all together actually Mm. so it it always in accompaniment of um the uh actions that we were doing but in order for us to sort of uh think about um the actions, who we speak with, whose values are privileged over others, how we negotiate them. They are um, 
very complex. So uh, they're not they're not quite like choosing between materials, which mm-hmm. is you know mm-hmm. the traditional design used to be. The, these things are quite um, invisible and very nebulous. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think that 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 demands a, a, a different kind of sensitivities um, for designers moving forward into this space. What I feel that is emerging is that um, working with ethics and in embedding the ethical discussion in your design process is a fundamental uh, responsibility of a designer. And we're sort of starting to address that now that it's just like if you don't um, consider your values, your morals, like how you make choices, you're basically not doing good design, uh, which is, I think, a very positive way forward. And the other thing is that I think a lot of designers struggle around ethics because it's not part of the education. Like we talk a lot about the design process, the, the methods, but not a lot of designers, I think, maybe including myself probably, um, have taken the effort to make their values and norms a- explicit and and use that in their design process right so if you don't know what your what your values are or like how you make choices it's really hard to do something around ethics yeah no you're absolutely right mm. and i think what also adds a further complication is that if you belong to either the dominant culture or you're designing for um a specific group of people um and as i said service design tends to perhaps um, go beyond those um, initially intended users, as we know, because that because services and digital technology evolve through its use. Um, and so values um, tend to be highlighted when it encounters difference. Mm. So you know that certain things matter to you when there is a difference in those values. So mm. It's actually quite difficult to notice what your values are if you're within a, a, a dominant culture where everybody sort of shares those things um, and only um, start to recognize what those values you hold and even what values matter to you until those things are um, not mm. not sort of meant in a kind of in a sort of um, antagonistic way, but in uh, composition of many others. And I think this shift into um, a diversity or understanding um, different different value systems and being able to accommodate that, I think is another uh, challenge that, again, being brought on by globalization, but also how, um, yeah, and how, and this goes back to the question of ethics, that I think personally design, the dominant form of design tends to privilege certain kinds of values, actually. So mm-hmm. things that are quicker, that are bigger things that are more um, convenient, you know, cheaper. Mm. I, I would be curious, and I'm uh, inviting the people uh, from the community to comment on this. Maybe there are some smart design methods and tools that help us to make our values explicit. Like you said, probably we don't fully see them when we're in the dominant culture. Maybe somebody probably somebody already has a method in place which helps us uh, to to make that more explicit. And if there is, please leave there, leave a comment. Um, for now, 
I'd like to sort of wrap up the conversation about ethics and move into the second topic. Uh, are you okay with that? Yeah, of course. Okay, because this will be an interesting one as well. It's the topic of bridges. <clears throat> and I see you searching for a good question starter. So let's give it a go. Oh, so Mark, um, is this like a wild card? Yes, it is. Three dots. It's absolutely a wild card. Okay. So my wild card was a question to you. Um, and um, you sort of mentioned how you had 98 people yes. on your show. Yes. You probably interviewed more than that, but the ones that's been yeah. published would be 98. I like to know how many people um, of diverse cultures and backgrounds were um, on your show. Mm. That's interesting. It doesn't happen to me that often that the guests actually start asking me questions, but I'll do my best to <laughs> to play along. So um, I think we have to sort of think about what is the, um, you said non-dominant uh, culture, right? So people from uh, non-Europe, non-US, and preferably non-male, right? That That would be like the dominant do dominant design culture. I think uh, if I would have to uh, give a number, it may it's probably between 25 and 35. So let's say a third of the guests were probably, meh, maybe a, a bit more, but 30%, 30 mm. to 40%. And how many of them were from um, regions outside of Europe and US? Yeah, like, so that that would be for me like the the thirty two to forty percent. Oh, okay, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm curious about. Um, so the the question, well, the question, the the thing was around bridges. Yes. And um, one of the things that uh, I'm quite passionate about is how design can. When we talked about this in ethics mm. around. Uh, accommodating or embracing diversity, and, um, and it comes from the the premise that I have, but also I guess uh, discussions in particular, actually not in service design though, but in other um, um, fields uh, where de design and many other fields are recognised as being dominated by a certain. Um, particular worldview, usually they're called Western in a sure. sort of hegemonic yeah. way, um, even though Western cultures in itself is very diverse. Um, but it, I think it's it's a convenient shorthand that speaks to how certain um, norms are mm -hmm. um, put into the centre of a particular field, and design is definitely one of them. So... Um, uh, I, d I didn't say myself in my introduction, but I am Japanese um, and I have, um, uh, I'm a product of a family who migrated uh, quite frequently, actually every five years, owing to my, my father's work situation. Um, and, uh, and so the reason why I speak the way I do and I now live in Australia is partly f because of this um, quite a mixed bag of experiences while growing up, um, even though for me, I very strongly still identify as being Japanese and mm, um, mm -hmm. 
I think uh, I still associate with a certain um, social, cultural and spiritual dimensions of um, Japanese people. Anyway, so what what that has provided me with is um, a teaching that I didn't actually receive in my Western education um, around uh, the kinds of designing that um, Japanese cultures have been doing for um, a lot longer than the short history of the industrial mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. period um, that are shaped by um, certain kinds of uh, materialities, uh, worldviews, beliefs, histories, um, to to be to become and to be made relevant to that local context and situations. So um, I am um, always in, embodying this identity um, as I speak to people um, like yourselves. And my um, role in my life has has been a lot around building those bridges between it could it could even be simply around communication so it's it's not by accident that you and I had to learn English and its proficiency it's also not by accident that we had to learn certain other cultural norms in order for us to um, conduct professional things in um, in mm-hmm. international whatever contexts um and so i am i'm really starting to um wonder and um i guess advocate and this also ties to um served 2020 which we were hoping to host and we were still hoping to host is um how much is um still uh invisible or um lacking um recognition of, of design and also service design practices that are um, not from yeah. a particular yeah. place. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. So <clears throat> I think that's um, that is so- a topic that's definitely on my mind when inviting guests and creating a show to find to to be a mirror of the global community which the service design community is it's uh, when when i started doing the show a whole world opened up for me and i really realized that it, the community is much bigger much more diverse and, and colorful than you might see when you look at the books that you can buy on amazon around this topic so it's definitely something on my mind and i don't know who mentioned it but <clears throat> what i a phrase that i liked is that there are different flavors of service design like there's a brazilian flavor and there's probably a chinese flavor of service design and uh, putting that forward and um, uh, sharing that story is i think really enriching yes absolutely yeah um and i might even uh go so far as saying how um there is a lot more I personally am learning from um, being exposed to um, and learning from uh, pr- not just practitioners but academics, uh, philosophers um, around what these um, diverse practi- practices or approaches can teach us. So when I I guess I'm sort of um, pushing back a little bit on the flavor notion of it being um, you know like a rainbow color thing. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, um, 
the current condition uh, of the, the the unsustainable consumption that we we're in is is design cannot deny its role in that. Um, and I I also have learned that there are, there are economies that had flourished um, by actually not taking uh, the the land or the resources as a human ownership. And so there's quite different worldviews in which humans see their relationship to its to each other and to mm -hmm. its environment. And again, because design expresses and prioritizes certain values, certain values from a certain place that um, sees nature as their resource, accelerates that, it makes it more powerful. And that's what we see through industrialization. Whereas there's other forms of designing that had always has all, also flourished and created um, uh, very uh, um, sustainable economies of trade, um without that being a result and um and australia is a, is a great example of that it's 65,000 years of a sustainable and flourishing uh civilization uh, of indigenous nations so this is where i feel um that there is a lot that um regions that where i'm in and living in can um uh even i would dare to say uh lead lead the way that design can go um and uh enable us all to learn um and re-inscribe the way i guess the dominant design has been um mm. taught to us through textbooks sure um and uh what we can then start to shift um not just mindsets but our entire relationships to um to one another and the, the whole ecology and um in looking to shape futures shaping futures um and i i i like your pledge for building bridges and adopting and learning about different worldviews uh which which is i think really enriching for the de design practice but you said something about shaping our future so and that's a really uh, good lead way lead in to the final and third topic, which is called shaping our practice. Uh, do you have a question starter around that one? Yeah, uh, I think you what might is, be what. Yeah. Um, so, um, uh, I guess it would be in sort of in this time and um, for viewers who might be watching this, I don't know, a year later or something, I, I just want to say how we're actually in a very unprecedented time where we're, we're, the whole world is in the midst of this coronavirus pandemic. And this is, I've never experienced this in my lifetime. Um, and uh, the cultural memory of people have, having lived through this have, have mostly gone. So um, it's, it's teaching, so, we can't not think about this basically that's what sure. i'm trying to say yeah. um in terms of futures right and um and i'm trying to um think about um not not seeing this as um you know like a really bad thing even though it's terrible in terms of the number of cases and deaths but i think it's also um a teaching moment or something for us to learn from in a sense of how 
it, it sort of touches on um, the two things we talked about around ethics and about worldviews is how it's, I think we've arrived at this moment because um, uh, the dominant industries have disrupted ecosystems through mining and clearing urbanizations, the population growth, unsustainable economic development. And it's brought the, the, the humans in contact with these species where these viruses had come from. And, and there's reports about how, um, you know, because of our, the travel bans and people not um, driving to work anymore, that there's the, the quality of the air is improving in major cities like the UK and China. Um, and maybe this, it's not peer reviewed yet, but perhaps this might be a way to think about how we might reduce carbon emissions mm. in the future. And even though I don't think it's just totally sustainable um, for us to all stop traveling, um, I like. I think it's a question for service design to think about because service design champions supposedly holistic and systemic changes. So what are we learning from this accidental and fearful public experiment um, so we can put the insights we learn from this experience back into how we redesign organisations like systems of governance, systems of commerce, flows of information, so we are able to work with key decision makers in each of these fields that we collaborate with so that we don't just go back to um, business as usual. Um, so that's what I like to um, think about as a what if. Mm. Um, and there's no answer, obviously. Maybe by the time we revisit this six years, uh, six months or a year down the track, there might be a possibility. But that's something that I think we could, we could collectively think about. So are you hoping or expecting that this will be like an incremental change or do you hope that it will be a more fundamental change to our practice? I'm, I'm going to be erring towards a fundamental change, partly because the, the, the disruption has been so significant. And so a lot of the norms and um, the business as usual have been questioned. I can't. I can't really imagine people slotting back to how things used to be because how things used to be is not the way we want things to be anymore. We don't want um, the pressures on the healthcare system that collapses in this way and vulnerable people not be, being able to be supported. You know, these are these are questions that are universal now because of our single common united problem. Um, I, yeah. So, I, yeah. Yeah, I'm curious, like um, when we were preparing uh, this interview, you, you mentioned something about uh, rising above uh, like the individual and thinking about the practice as a, as a whole, as a community. Mm. I, I'm, I'm trying to imagine what, what that might be. And of course, that's like the what if question. But wh where do you hope this... Um, it, what is the compass for our field? What is the if the direction? Um, that's the million dollar question, I guess. I know, and but I, yeah, your your gut feeling. It's like yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Well, what? Yeah, what if? So, what if? Um, let's see. I'm I'm 
partly because of my experience and partly because I'm Japanese, I'm, you know, I'm biased towards the power of, a, of the collective in a sense that I think collectives can make quite wise decisions. And I don't really know whether service design as a community globally talk about this in a kind of a UN style, I don't, even though UN as an organisation and system is also very fraught as well. But it, it, it could be ways in which um, people like ourselves step out of our normal jobs and the boundaries in which we are operating within to think about a collaboration across scale in, the, in this sense. I don't know whether that's possible. Um, uh, I also think uh, we could try and prototype a lot of ideas that we generate in, the, in, our, in our own communities and local organisations and start to share them. Um, but again, um, you know, there are conferences and having been in, um, sort of uh, busy organising one, conferences are, themselves are quite political as well. So um, well, I don't know what platform would be most suitable for, for this sort of sharing. Uh, maybe it, it might need to be something that's online, um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. accessible to all. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, and maybe I don't know. Like a third one would be. Um, it kind of goes back to um, the sort of questions we had at the beginning about how do we know what we're doing is is um, the way we should be going mm -hmm. is in ethics. Um, and the, the frame of references we have, again, is so bound up by the immediacy of the needs and the requirements of our jobs. Or, or And I wonder what it is that we can do to help one another loosen some of those boundaries to have um, almost like a friend who can advocate with you on certain things for, for, change, for really important changes to be made. I don't know how we can lend our support and um, expertise and influences that way. I don't know. This is me just thinking on this spot, sure. speaking yeah. <laughs> and there are a lot of people listening and watching right now. So I hope some of them are inspired to uh, join you in this thinking because I think these are interesting and really important topics as well. Um, yeah. What I well, see... What, yeah. What do you think, Mark? Well... Uh, I feel like I'm in a privileged situation to talk to people like you who are thinking about these things and sort of pick your brain. And then what happens for me is that I start to recognize patterns. I start to recognize mm. patterns among people from various backgrounds, various expertise, various parts of the world. And when those people individually start talking about a specific thing like ethics, then that's a really clear indicator for me that our field is heading into that direction. Mm, mm. So I, yeah, like I said, ethics is, for instance, one of the things that that has been coming up lately quite often, and um, the 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 importance of um, if maybe having a manifesto or something like like taking your responsibility as a designer bringing mm. that into our field is definitely something that's on the agenda, but there are more. Uh, and I, I hope that the people listening again will sort of be able to extrapolate their own patterns from these conversations because 
I'm watching and listening to this from my own lens and my own background, but I'm sure that if you would listen to 10 conversations, you would see other things. So that's a mm. long answer to your question. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. And I think I'd like to um, see whether, because I think you have a lot of influence, Mark, partly through the popularity of this show. You mentioned like 2,000 people might be watching it or something. Um, so I like to try and see whether we can calibrate the balance between the um, 30% becoming maybe 50% or 60% and how, partly because um, the it's so easy to fall back to listening to the same people again. And um, mm. the, the, the people I'm inspired by don't often get that opportunity, partly by the positioning that they're in and partly all sorts of reasons. Um, yeah. And yeah. I would really love to see whether that's possible so that your platform then becomes a place where we would all learn, then be able to learn and have a, a mutual dialogue hmm. around shared concerns. And, and, and I would like to extend your, your call as a call to the community because I'm, uh, I'm partially dependent on the people who sort of are brought to my attention and the more people from diverse backgrounds are brought to my attention that will be reflected in the show so people please help me out uh, to make this show even more diverse so let's mm. see what happens <laughs> well I'm, i've got 30 people i can recommend Let, let's go we, we, we're almost approaching episode 100 so after that we're going to continue for the next 100 as well yoko uh, we're entering the final stage of this chat but i and i'm really curious do you have a you already posed a few questions, but do you have a question for us, the people listening and watching to the show that we can think upon next to the questions that you already asked us? Um, uh, no, but I like to um, sort of, uh, I guess, um, call attention to the conference we're organizing. Um, well, the date still hasn't been set, served as 2020. And the and the theme that we've selected is um, tensions, paradoxes and plurality. And the reason why um, those themes were nominated was partly in recognition for the times that we're living and, the rec and also the acknowledgement and perhaps some of the worry about services are not stepping into these spaces enough to not neatly bound things um, too much and to sort of expose uh, the, yeah, the tensions, paradox and plurality of in accompaniment that comes with uh, the work we do. Mm. And um, uh, if you're watching, um, we are still trying to aim for a hybrid conference. So if the travel ban continues, we'd really like um, people, uh, if you're watching this wherever you are, to participate via online. We haven't quite worked out the details yet. Um, but uh, the peer-reviewed papers are fantastic. Uh, we also had um, prepared, I mean, in fact, Mark, the people I was thinking of for you to speak to are already on our panel nice. um, <laughs> conference. Yeah, so um, that could be another great way to sort of give another introduction to whet their appetite, you know, of um, what might follow through a conference. Um, and they're really inspiring speakers and practitioners. So um, I'd love to invite you to, um, uh, participate as and when you can um, in a dialogue that uh, we're hoping to have. I'll, I'll make sure, yeah, I'll make sure to put all the relevant links either on the screen somewhere or down below 
in the video show notes or the episode show notes. So um, yeah, if people want to continue this conversation with you specifically, what's the best way to get in touch? Uh, I guess an email. Mm -hmm. I'll make mm. sure it's somewhere in there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we also have a um, like a Slack service design network thing. Um, specifically. Which specifically for Melbourne or the general uh, service design network Slack? Oh, um, so the one that we run is a service, it's called Service on Melbourne, but we've sure. got like 3,000 members, which I'm sure is wow. not more. Um, and there's different channels in there that talks about ethics and um, public sector stuff and whatnot. Um, the link to the Slack channel will be on the screen here as well. So if people are invited oh. to... <laughs> Let's put up right here. So yeah, somewhere over there. Um, I think we have to wrap this up. Uh, Yoko, thanks for sharing. Uh, really valuable and important topics uh, that I hope that we can keep addressing here on the show. So thank you for making the time and uh, good luck with the conference this year. Great, thank you. We're almost at the end of this episode, this super inspiring episode with Yoko. Uh, one final thing before we leave. Please remember to send me an email or message on LinkedIn with the question that you'd like me to talk about and answer in episode 100. We have two episodes more to go, or actually one episode after this to go. So let me know which question is on your mind that you'd like me to answer in episode 100. Thanks again for listening to the Service Design Show. It was great having you. I really appreciate your time. Keep making a positive impact and I'll catch you in two weeks time with a brand new episode. See you then.